I have something against you. You've left your first love. I'm no longer the thing that you love more than you love everything else. Do you love Jesus Christ? Preaching the old-time gospel with a fresh anointing to to a new generation. This is Saved to the Uttermost with evangelist Brian Tyndall. Do you love Jesus? Well, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may say, sure. But as Brian Tyndall will point out, in Revelation 2, Jesus talked to believers who left their first love. They no longer loved Jesus, at least not in the way God loves us. So how do we know if we really love Jesus anymore or not? Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2 to find out in a message entitled, Have You Left Your First Love? Here's Brian. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the first five verses. The title of our message today is, Have You Left Your First Love? It's a question, have you left your first love? And as we read these verses today, we're going to see where Jesus was speaking to a group of people, actually uh, a group of church members, And one of the things that Jesus tells these people is that they have left their first love. And today, as we look at this passage of Scripture and as we examine what the Bible has to say about loving God, I want us to examine our own heart in light of the Word of God, in light of the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the Word of God. And I want us to genuinely answer this question honestly before God. Have we left our first love? Listen to these verses, Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have had patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Our message today is thinking about our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're asking ourselves the question, do I really love Jesus the way that the Word of God requires me to love Him? You know, in the original language in the Greek, there are several Greek words that all mean love. Now, we are at a disadvantage to some degree in English because we have one word, that is love, and we use that word in such a a broad way that sometimes uh, it can lose its power, it can lose its meaning. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, uh, we may use the word love to say that we love God, but we also would use the very same word to say we love our dog, or that we love our favorite football team, or that we love chocolate. And so you see what I'm saying? That word can become diluted because we use the same word to describe our feelings for several different type of situations, for several different type of relationships. And, and for even inanimate objects, we may 
I say that we love this thing or that thing. And, and I hope that what we're saying when we say that uh, is not what we actually are saying. I hope that we don't mean that we love chocolate like we love God. I hope that we're not saying that we love God the same way that we love our favorite football team. Uh, but we use the same word. And so many times it can lose its power. It can lose its meaning because we use it so frequently and in so many different ways. But in the Bible, in the original languages, in the Greek, there are several words for love. For example, the word philo, which means love between two friends, two friends that are not romantically involved, two friends that are not sexually involved. Uh, that's what the word philo means. It means love, but it means love in a type of friendship uh, kind of way. And then there's a word, a Greek word, eros, and it does mean romantic love, and it would be used in the sense uh, when we're talking about sexual connotations between people and them showing uh, that type of physical love to each other. And then there's another word. There's a word, storge, and storge is used, it's, it means love, but it's used more in a sense of familial love. It's uh, the love that a parent naturally has uh, for their child. And then there is a word that is used in the Greek, and it is agape. And agape means love, but it means the type of love that God has for mankind. It is the unconditional type of love that God has for his creation, for humanity. This type of love, this agape love, is more than uh, philo love. It's more than just uh, camaraderie. It's more than just uh, affection between uh, two mutual friends. It's more than eros. It's more than just uh, emotion. It's more than just the, the, the raw physical uh, emotions of uh, romantic love. It's more than storge. It's more than, than even the love between uh, family members. It's more than, than, than just the love that a parent has for a child. Agape love is not just a love that's based on a feeling. Agape love is centered more in the will. It is me not necessarily loving first and foremost out of, a, out of an emotion, out of a feeling, but out of the very center of my will, I'm choosing to love. God has chosen to love us, not because we're lovely, not because we're worthy of his love, not because we're good, but God has chosen to love us out of who he is. He's chosen to, to love us because that is his will. That is his character. That's who he is. And then God wants us to have that same type of agape love for him. He wants us to love him that way. In fact, the Bible uh, describes to us a time when a man came to Jesus and was asking Jesus what was the greatest commandment. And we read about that in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And I want you to listen to these verses. It says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, that is, Jesus had answered these people well, he asked Jesus, what is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And so we see in the word of God 
that when God uh, chooses to talk about not only his love for us, he uses this word agape, but when he talks about the type of love that we ought to have for him, when God talks about the type of love that his creation, those that he has created, you and I, when he talks about how we ought to love him, he says, this is the greatest commandment. And I think it's interesting here. When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus doesn't say, well, one commandment is not more important than the other, or there is no commandment that is higher than the other commandments. He doesn't say that at all. When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He immediately gives an answer. And the answer is this, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so uh, I'm thinking today, if someone came up to us, if someone came up to you and they asked you today, do you love God? Do you love Jesus Christ? Many of us, we would be tempted very quickly to say, yes, we do, but it could be that the reason that we would respond that way is because we know that we ought to love God. We know that we ought to have him first in our life. And so if someone asked us, uh, or if we even asked ourselves this question, we may say, well, yes, I do love God. And the reason that we would say that is because we know that we ought to love him. And so we would say that we do love him. And it could be that we say that we love him because we truly believe that we do. If someone asked us, do we love God? Uh, our impression would be, our understanding, our thought would be, well, yes, I love God. I do love him. And so we would say, yes, I love God. But here's the thing. What if we were basing our decision about whether we really love God or not on God's definition of love? What if we were basing the reality of whether we really love God or not on his definition of love and not just our definition of love? And you say, well, what's God's definition of love? Well, God's definition of love is agape. The type of love that he loves us is unconditional love that he loves us with. He loves us with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, with all of his mind. He loves us completely. He loves us with everything that he has. In fact, the Bible says that God is love. It doesn't just say that God has love. It doesn't just say that God gives love. Uh, it doesn't just say that God shows love. The Bible says that God is love. It is who he is. It is his character. And so God loves us out of that type of agape love, out of that type of unconditional love, out of that type of love that's not just a feeling that can change with emotion, but it is, it is a, it is a love that comes out of the will of God, out of the character of God. It can't be changed. It's unconditional. He doesn't love us because we're lovely. He doesn't love us because we serve him or we obey him or we deserve his love. He loves us out of the character of who he is. And then because we, if we have received God, if we have placed our faith in him, and if we've repented of our sins, and if we've entered into a personal relationship with him through faith, then he has taken up residence in our life and our bodies have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And indeed, God is indwelling us. And now, because he first loved us, because the one who is love is living inside of me, now the Bible says, I have the capacity to love 
because he first loved me and because the one that is love is now residing inside of me. And if we change the question, if we didn't just say, do you love God? But if we use the definition of the Bible, if we used God's definition of love and we asked ourselves this question, do I love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength? Do I unconditionally love God? Is my love for God preeminent? Is God, is my love for God first? Is my love for God, is my love for the Lord Jesus Christ greater than my love for any other person or any other thing, any other object on this earth? And you see, when we start asking ourselves the question in that way, it gets a little bit harder to answer sometimes. Because if somebody just comes up to us and says, do you love God? We, most of us, we know that we ought to love God. Whether we do or not, we know that we ought to love him. And many of us, we believe that we indeed do love him uh, because we're basing uh, our love and our understanding of how we love God on our definition and not God's definition. We're basing our understanding of whether we love him or not on what we think love is and not what on the Bible Uh, not what the Bible tells us that love is. And so if we come to the word of God and we look at what God says love is, and if we look at the way God says that we ought to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, then we look at ourselves and we take an honest inventory of our life. And we have to ask ourselves, I know I ought to love God and, and I believe that I do love him. But when I look at that definition and I ask myself, can I honestly say before God that I truly love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of my heart? There's nothing there that is standing in the way of me loving him. There's no divided loyalty. My heart belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It's not divided. You remember the Bible says in the Old Testament that God is a jealous God. He says, I will accept no one before me or even beside of me. If we're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength, it's going to mean that he is first in our life. He is preeminent. There is nothing or no one else that I love more than I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I examine my own love for the Lord in light of that definition, can I say that I love him with all of my heart? Can I say that I love him with all of my mind, with all of my soul, with all of my strength? Or is my mind divided? Is my attention divided? Is my loyalty divided? Is the love, the strength of my love, is some of the strength of that love going to other people and even putting that in, in priority over Jesus Christ is some of the, the strength of the love that I ought to have for Jesus Christ. Is that being dedicated to some other relationship, to some other person, to some other entity, to some other object? It might be money. It might be my job. It might be my hobby. Uh, it can be many different things. And so we look at ourselves honestly. That's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to examine ourselves in light of the Word of God and in the light of the Holy Spirit. And we're trying to answer this question honestly. Do I love the Lord Jesus Christ 
with all of my heart? And is it possible that I have left my first love? And is it possible that I've left my first love without even knowing that I've done that? Uh, I know it is possible because when we read in the Bible, when we read the passage of Scripture that we read today out of Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to Christian people. He's speaking to the church of Ephesus, to the Christians that make up the church of Ephesus. And he writes them and he tells them that they have left their first love, that they have failed in loving him supremely, that maybe they started out loving him uh, supremely. Maybe they started out loving him when they first were saved with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he says, I have something against you. You've left your first love. I'm no longer the person. I'm no longer the thing that you love more than you love everything else. And so if it's possible for these Christians in Ephesus, if it's possible for them to begin in their Christian life with loving God the way that they ought to love him, to loving him with this type of agape love, this unconditional love, uh, this love, this birth, not out of emotion, but out of my will. I am choosing to love God. I'm choosing to put him first in my life. I'm choosing to be his disciple. I'm choosing to follow him. I'm choosing to make him savior and Lord of my life. And I'm choosing to put him in that place of preeminence where I'm going to love him uh, more than I love anybody else. I'm going to love him more than I love anything else. And he's going to have that place of preeminence in my life. It's interesting uh, in this passage of scripture that the Lord brags on this church. He brags on these Christian believers. Uh, he actually says uh, three different things that they're doing correctly, that they're doing well. The first thing he tells them is that they are working hard. They're working hard for the Lord. Notice in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, it says, I know your works, your labor, uh, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have had patience, and you've labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Two different times in those two verses, he tells them that they have worked, they have labored for him, and that they have not grown weary in their labor. So the Lord tells this church, he tells these Christians at the church of Ephesus, he says, you're working hard for me, and he brags on them, and we ought to work for the Lord. And many of you that are listening to me, if we examine your life, you're working for the Lord. Maybe you're a member of a church, and you're uh, serving on committees, or you're uh, volunteering through your church, or through some Christian organization in the community, uh, and you're working for God. And that's a good thing. We ought to be working for God. The Bible tells us not to grow weary in well-doing. The Bible tells us that we're not saved by our works, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us that we uh, have been created, uh, that we should walk in the works that he has prepared for us to do. So while the Bible is clear that I'm not saved by my works, the Bible is clear that I am saved for good works. And he tells these believers at this church, he says, you are working, you are laboring hard for me. And, and he uh, congratulates them on the work that they're doing. He also tells them that they're acting right. They're acting right. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. Uh, he tells them, he says, I know uh, that you have persevered and you've had patience. So these believers, not only are they working right, not only are they working hard, but they're acting right. 
they're being the kind of believers that they ought to be. They're, they're living a moral, ethical life. They're living out their Christianity. They're seeking to be the type of people that they ought to be in front of those around them. They're seeking to be an example. They're seeking to live out the tenets of the Christian faith. And so he tells them, you're working hard and you're acting right. And then finally he tells them, uh, and you also have a good doctrine. You also have a good theology. Notice he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. He says, you've got good doctrine. You've got good theology. And, and, and they were so strong in their faith, so strong in their biblical beliefs. He said, when, when people come along that are teaching the wrong thing, when people come along that are, that are perverting the gospel, you don't tolerate them. Uh, you put those people out. And so he's bragging on these Christians. He's bragging on this church. He's bragging on these believers in three different areas. He's saying, you work hard for me. Uh, you're serving me. You're acting right. You, in many ways, you're moral. You're ethical. You've got good doctrine. You've got good theology. You believe the Bible. You're taking a stand for the truth. And we would think to ourselves, if we heard that God is saying these things about these people, we would think, well, surely... If these people are working and serving the Lord that hard, and surely if these people are acting right, if they're seeking to live morally and ethically, and surely if these people have good doctrine and good biblical theology, surely these people love the Lord. They must love the Lord. How could, how could people be doing all of these things and not love God the way that they ought to love him? And yet one of the very next things that we read in Scripture after we read about how God is bragging on them for doing these things, the very next thing we read in verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And so even though they were working for God, even though they were acting right, acting morally and ethically, even though they were, they had good doctrine, good theology, the Lord still saw that they did not love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want us to examine our own selves today because it's possible that we could be doing the same thing. It's possible that we could be guilty of the same thing. Now, there's a couple of ways that we might not be loving God the way that we ought to. Uh, number one, uh, in order for you to leave your first love, you have to have had a first love. These people could not have left their first love for Jesus Christ unless they had first had a first love for Jesus Christ. And it's very possible that there are people out there that are listening to this message today, and as you hear this scripture, and as you listen to this sermon, you realize in your heart, as God is speaking to you through his word and through the power of his Holy Spirit, and as he's bringing conviction to you through the gospel, you know that you've never had that kind of love for God. 
It's not that you've lost that love. It's that you've never had it. It's that there's never been a time in your life where you saw yourself as the sinner that you are. There's never been a time in your life where you were grieved over your sin. And that grief over your sin caused you to go to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and confess your sin to him and to him alone and to ask for his forgiveness. And there's never been a time where you repented, where you turned away from your sin and turned to Christ in faith and put your faith in him as Savior and Lord of your life. There's never been a time where you were born again. There's never been a time where the love of God has been shed abroad into your life and you've been born into the family of God. And the reason that you don't love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength isn't that you used to love him and now something has caused you to walk away from that and love something else. The reality is that many people have never begun to love God in the first place. And my friends, I encourage you today, if you're listening to this message and you realize that you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you realize that there's never been a time when you truly have become grieved over your sin and confessed your sin and asked for forgiveness and repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, I would beg you today, my friend, to do that. Because it doesn't matter how much you love this life. It doesn't matter how much you love this world. It doesn't matter how much you love your family, your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren. It doesn't matter how much you love the things that you've accumulated on this earth. If you live your life on this earth and die without ever having loved the Lord Jesus Christ, without ever having experienced the love of God, without ever having come to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ, then my friend, you are going to have lived your life for nothing. You are, you are going to have wasted your life and you're going to have lived a life never loving the one that loved you so much that he gave his life for you. The Bible says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize today, my friend, that God loves you? He loves you so much that even when you did not love him, even when you were not looking for him, even when you were walking in disobedience to him, he loved you so much that he gave his only son to die for you on the cross. And it's through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's through the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's through that great love act of God that you have a chance to be forgiven of your sin, that you have a chance to experience what true love is, that you have a chance to be brought into a right relationship with God, that you have a chance to walk through this life knowing the love of God and because you know the love of God, being able to share the love of God with other people in your life. Oh, my friend, if you've never turned to Jesus Christ and put him in that number one place in your life, I pray that you would do that today. But when we look at this passage of scripture, we see that these people, uh, at least it would seem most of these people in the church, they had done that. These people were Christians. This was the church. These people were saved. And at some point, they had 
put their faith in Christ. At some point, they had repented of their sin. At some point, they had been born again into the family of God, and they had received the Holy Spirit, and they had received the love of God. And it, it would seem that there had been a time where they had walked in that love and that they had loved God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what God is saying to them is, he says, but I've got something against you. I've got something against you. Even though you used to be doing that, you've left your first love. And there's some of us that, that there has been a time in our life where we loved God. There has been a time in our life where he was first. There has been a time in our life where no other relationship, no other person, no other object, no other thing in this world uh, had our love more than he had our love. But I'm telling you today, my friends, if there's ever been a time in your life where you loved God, where you loved the Lord Jesus Christ more than you love him today, then you're living in a backslidden condition. I want to say that again. If there's ever been a time, if there's ever been a moment in your life where you love Jesus Christ more in the past than you love him today, then you're living in a backslidden condition. We're guilty of the same sin that this church at Ephesus was guilty of. God, if he were speaking to us today, if he were evaluating our love for him, he would say the same thing to us that he said to these believers. You may be doing this right. You may be working for me. You may be serving me. You may be a church member. You may be going to church. You may even be acting right. You may be a moral person, an ethical person, a patriotic person. You may even uh, have good doctrine. You may believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You may have good theology. You believe everything in the Bible is the word of God. You believe it's the truth. And yet we can be just like these people at this church. Even though we're doing these things, we have lost our first love. We've left our first love. And the reality is, even though we're still working for him, even though we're trying to live and act the way that we ought to act, and even though we have good doctrine and theology, the reality is we no longer love Jesus the way that he wants us to love him. We no longer love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us to see that it's possible for that to be a reality. Uh, I'll, I'll, let's think about a married couple. Let's use a married couple, a husband and a wife, as an example. What if there was a husband and wife, they're married, and they've been married for some time, some years, and the husband, he works hard. He's a hard worker. He gets up every morning. He goes to his job. He's a good provider for his family. He keeps a roof over his family's head. He keeps food on the table. Uh, he keeps clothes on their back. He provides education. Uh, he's just a good provider, just a hard-working man. And not only does he work for his family, let's say that this is a Christian couple, and, and they're also working in the church. And let's say that this husband also, not only is he working hard for his family, but let's say he he acts right. Let's say he uh, you know, he, he doesn't beat his wife. He doesn't uh, abuse his wife verbally. 
Uh, uh, I mean, you know, he doesn't abuse his children. I mean, he's basically a good husband. He he provides for them. He protects them. Uh, he's there for them in many ways that they need him to be there for them. And uh, and so he he's acting right most of the time. When they go out in public, people don't see him talking ugly to his wife. They don't see him abusing his wife in any way. Basically, he's a hardworking man, and he acts the way that a good husband ought to act. And let's say that he even has good doctrine. He even has good theology about marriage. Let's say he believes the Bible, that marriage is between a man and a woman, that it's to be permanent. Uh, he believes all of those things. Uh, he believes that they ought to be married forever. He believes that uh, marriage ought to be permanent. Uh, he doesn't believe in divorce. He believes in faithfulness. He believes in commitment. He believes in staying. And so he's got good theology, got good doctrine. Now, here's a husband. He's working hard. He's acting right. And he even has good doctrine and theology about the subject of marriage. But let's say this. Even though he has all of those things, the wife realizes that he doesn't love her anymore. He no longer loves her as his primary uh, physical earthly relationship. She realizes that she's no longer in that position, in that number one position. She realizes that he no longer loves her with that unconditional love, with that love that, that is with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The wife realizes, even though my husband's going out every day and working hard and providing for the family, even though he, he treats me in a decent way, even though he believes the right thing about marriage, the biblical things about marriage, he believes those things. I'm not worried about him leaving me. I'm not worried about him divorcing me. But I realize that he doesn't love me. And, and I want you to think about this. If a wife realized that, would it matter to her that he was willing to work and pay the bills? Would it matter to her that he was willing to treat her right in front of people, that he was willing to act like a, a husband ought to act? Would it matter that he had good theology and doctrine about marriage if she realized that he truly didn't love her? You see, he could be doing all of those things, but if she realized that he no longer loved her the way that he ought to love her, it would not mean anything. These other things would be incidental. These other things would be meaningless if he didn't love her. And God's the same way. What God is saying to this church, what God is saying to these believers is this. You're working hard. You're serving me. You're acting morally and ethically in most situations. You're acting like a good Christian ought to act. You have good doctrine, good theology. You believe the right things about the Bible. And yet I have this against you. Even though you're doing all of those things, I know your heart. I see your heart. And the reality is, even though you're doing all of those things, you no longer love me. You've left your first love. It doesn't uh, bring me any pleasure in using myself as an analogy, but I will because I think it will help you uh, to understand this message and understand this passage of Scripture. Um, after I had been married uh, some time, uh, a few years, uh, I'll never forget my wife told me one day, she said, I want to talk to you. And uh, I said, um, okay. And she, I said, what do you want to talk about? And she said, I want to ask you a question. And I said, okay. And she said, this was the question. She said, do you still love me? 
And I was thinking to myself, well, of course, I love you. Why would you even ask that question? Where is this coming from? And I was, I was getting defensive and I was trying to, you know, think of how I was going to answer. But I, I, I asked her, I said, well, why, why would you think that I don't love you? I've always told you that I love you. Uh, uh, you know, we, we've been married for, for several years. What have I done that would make you think that I no longer love you? And she said, well, um, when we were dating and we were, we were first married, you wanted to spend all your time with me and you wanted to spend all your time communicating with me and talking with me. And, uh, you wanted to be with me all the time and, and you opened the doors for me and you held my hand and you gave me flowers and other things, uh, not for special occasions, but just, uh, just because you wanted to show me how much you love me. And she gave me all of these examples. And then she said, but you are not doing those things anymore. And as I looked at myself, I found myself in this position. I wanted to be able to say, you're wrong. I wanted to be able to say, uh, I don't deserve this criticism. I wanted to, to be able to defend myself against her because if, if her initial question when she said, do you still love me? My, my initial response was, well, of course I still love you. But when I began to examine myself, when I began to examine the way I was acting, when I began to examine the way that the things that I was doing and the things that I was not doing, what I had to confess was, well, I do love you, but I certainly am not loving you the way that I ought to love you. I'm not loving you the way that God has called me to love you. I'm not loving you the way that I used to love you. And my friends, I'm here to tell you today, that for many of us, that's not only true of our earthly relationships, but there's many of us today that if we would look at this scripture and we would be honest before Almighty God, if God were to come to us and say, do you love me? And what I mean by that is, do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me as an act of your will? Do you love me more than you love anyone else or anything else on this earth? There's many of us, we would want to respond in the positive. We would want the, to respond in the affirmative. But if we were to examine that definition of love, and if we were to examine our life and how we are actually showing and demonstrating our love for God, many of us would have to say, God, you're right. I, I don't love you the way that I ought to love you. I have left my first love. And the truth is, while I want to say to you that I love you, the truth is I don't love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you are no longer in that first place in my life, but someone else or some other people have taken that place of preeminence. Or maybe it's something in my life that has taken that place of preeminence. And my love is being diverted to those things or to those people. What do we do today if we examine our life and we realize that we have left our first love? What do we do? Well, I think this passage of Scripture teaches us what to do. Because in verse 4, Jesus tells them, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. And then in the very next verse, he tells them how to rectify the problem. He tells them 
how they can fix this problem. And so if you look at your life today, and if you're willing to be honest with the Word of God, and if you're willing to be honest with God Himself, and if you have to evaluate and you have to come to the conclusion, you know what? If God was speaking to me the way he was speaking to the people in this church, he would probably say the same thing about me, that I have left my first love, that I've never had him as my first love. He would say to me that I don't love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what do I do? What do I do when I realize that I'm in that situation. Well, let's look to the Word of God. What did he tell this church? When he tells them that they've left their first love, the very next verse, he tells them what to do about it. Listen, he says, Remember, verse 5, Therefore from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the first works. He tells them three things. He says that when you realize that what I'm telling you is true, When you realize that though you think you love me, though you say that you love me, though you're working for me and serving me and seeking to live a moral and ethical and patriotic life, and though you have good doctrine and theology, when you realize that what I'm saying to you is true and that you've left your first love and that you don't love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is what you need to do about it. The very first word of verse 5, remember. You need to remember. Now, in the story that I told you about my wife, when she came to me and asked me, Brian, do you still love me? As we began to talk, one of the things that she did, one of the very first things she did is she said, Brian, do you remember? Do you remember when we were dating how You couldn't spend enough time with me. Do you remember when we were first married, how you told me multiple times a day that you loved me, how you opened the door for me, uh, how you held my hand everywhere we went? And she, she began to, she, do you remember? Do you remember? And as I began to remember how things used to be, as I began to remember things that I used to do that I no longer was doing, as I began to remember the way that I used to treat her, the way that our relationship used to be, as I remembered that, then I realized that it was no longer that way. And maybe what we need to do today is we need to, if if there's ever been a time where we were truly saved, if there's ever been a time where we truly loved God in that first place in our life more than anything else and anybody else, if there's ever been a time where we loved him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, maybe in the early days of our Christian walk, then we need to remember what things were like then. You know, church wasn't boring. We, we wanted to go to church. We wanted to hear the word of God. We wanted to listen to sermons. We wanted to read the Bible. It was like a love letter to us. You know, we wanted to pray to God. Uh, we, we wanted to communicate with him. We wanted to fellowship with other believers. You know, may, we need to remember how it was when we loved him the way that we ought to love him. Because when we remember how it used to be, then we can see how it's not that way anymore. The second thing that he tells us to do is he said, repent. In verse 5, it says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. And what is repentance? Repentance is simply an acknowledgement 
of my sin, and I, I realize that I've sinned, I realize that I've messed up, I realize that I've broken God's law some way, that I, I've, I'm walking outside of his perfect will for my life, and I realize that, and I, I become grieved over that sin, I become grieved over that disobedience, I, I become grieved over that thing in my life that's not the way God would want it to be, and that grief causes me to go to Jesus Christ in prayer and honestly and sincerely confess my sin and my failures and ask for his forgiveness. And then it also causes me to turn away from my sin, not to keep going in the wrong direction, not to keep doing the same wrong thing, but to repent, to turn away from that wrong direction, to turn away from doing things the wrong way and to turn to Jesus Christ in faith, to repent and to start going in the right direction. And so in this case, if I realize that I'm not loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I need to remember that time when I used to love him that way, and I need to repent. I need to say, God, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize that I had walked away. I didn't even realize that things had changed. I I didn't even realize that I had let other relationships or other uh, material things on this earth get me out of that love relationship with you. And God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I don't have you first in my life. I'm sorry that I've let other things get before you or beside you. I'm sorry that I have failed to love you unconditionally. I'm sorry that I've not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, forgive me and help me to turn away and to turn to you. Help me to repent. God, help me to remember and help me to repent. And then finally, he tells him to return. In verse 5, it says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. I believe that's the return. Remember, repent, and then he says, and do the first works. Return to what you used to do when you loved me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in our case, as believers, if there's ever been a time where we truly did love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, If there has been a time in our past where he was in that preeminent first place in our life and we did love him more than anybody else or anything else, as we remember that and as we repent of the sin from getting away from that, then we need to return. We need to return and start doing those things that we used to do when he was first in our life. In the case with the example with me and my wife, what did she want me to do? Well, I used to tell her all the time that I loved her. She wanted me, she wanted to start hearing that again multiple times a day. I used to hold her hand everywhere we went. I used to open the door. I used to give gifts just to show her how much that I loved her. All of these things. She wanted me to return and do those first works, as he says here in this passage of Scripture. And in the case of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that means we're going to have to return to his house. We're going to have to return to his people. We're going to have to return to his word. We're going to have to return to his worship. We're going to have to return to his service. We're going to have to return to his fellowship. We're going to have to return to obedience to him. And we're going to have to put him back in that number one place in our life. And we're going to have to begin to do again those things that we used to do when he was first in our life. My friends, do you realize today that God loves you? He loves you, my friend. 
He loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. It doesn't matter how far you strayed away. It doesn't matter how disobedient you've been. It doesn't matter how far outside of the will of God you are today. There's nothing that you have ever done. There's nothing that you could ever do that would keep God from loving you. My friend, he loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an unconditional love. He loves you with that agape biblical love. He doesn't just love you out of some fleeting emotion that, you know, he loves you today and then you mess up tomorrow and he doesn't love you. No, my friends, he loves you with this agape love, the love that doesn't come out of emotion, but comes out of his will, comes out of his character. He chooses to love you. And my friend, you don't just know God loves you today because I told you. You don't just know that God loves you today because the Bible says it. My friends, God has demonstrated his love for you. He demonstrated his love for you 2,000 years ago when he gave his only begotten son to come and to be born into this world, born of a virgin, miraculously born into this world. And then Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. And then he went to the cross and he gave his body and he shed his blood for your sins on the cross. My friends, he has demonstrated his love for you. I want to ask you something today. Have you left your first love? And there's some of you today that would say, Brian, I've never loved Jesus the way that I ought to love him. Would you do it today? Would you put your faith in him today? Would you repent of your sin today and start loving him more than you love anybody else and more than you love anything else. And if you're a Christian and you realize today as we look at this scripture and God's spirit ministers this scripture to your heart and you realize today, you know, Brian, I didn't even realize it. If At the beginning of this message, when you asked the question, do you love God? I would have responded to that quickly and enthusiastically and without any doubt, I would have said, yes, I do love God. But as I look at this scripture, and as I look at these other scriptures, and as I look at what the biblical definition of love is, I realize that I don't love God the way that I ought to love him. I don't even love him the way that I used to love him. I have left my first love. My friends, would you remember today? Would you repent today? And would you return to loving Jesus the way that he deserves to be loved. There's nobody on this earth that will ever love you like Jesus loves you. There's nobody on this earth that will ever demonstrate their love for you the way that God demonstrated his love for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And my friend, all he wants is for you and I to reciprocate that love. He has loved us unconditionally. What can we do but reciprocate that love? What can we do but return that love to him and say, God, because you love me like that, I want to love you. And I want to love you first. And I want to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Forgive me for failing to do that. But from this day forward, 
with your help, with your forgiveness, with your faith, with your strength, with your guidance, I'm going to spend the rest of my life making sure that I have not left my first love, but that my first love is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life loving Jesus with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. My friend, I pray that we'll do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is Save to the Uttermost with evangelist Brian Tyndall. And that wraps up Brian's study entitled, Have You Left Your First Love? If you'd like to listen to it again or share it with a friend, you can download a copy on our website, uttermostevangelism.org. That's uttermostevangelism.org. Just click on Sermons. While you're there, find out how God is using Uttermost Evangelism by reading our newsletter. You can also download some of Brian's Bible study notes and be sure to read Brian's booklet, Salvation, Man's Greatest Need, God's Greatest Gift. In this easy-to-read book, he'll share why all people need to be saved, how God has made our salvation possible, why anyone can be saved, what salvation really is, and how we receive God's gift of salvation. You can download a copy absolutely free when you visit uttermostevangelism.org. If you'd like a print copy of the book, Salvation, Man's Greatest Need, God's Greatest Gift, just write us and ask. Here's our address, Uttermost Evangelism, P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. That's P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi, P-O-N-T-O-T-O-C, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. Or you can call us. Our phone number is 662-372-1912. That's 662-372-1912. Save to the Uttermost is the radio outreach of Uttermost Evangelism. Brian Tyndall is the founder and president of Uttermost Evangelism and a full-time missionary evangelist. He travels all over the world preaching open-air crusades, church revivals, and evangelistic events in prisons and schools, as well as teaching pastors and church leaders how to more effectively communicate the gospel and evangelize the lost. Uttermost evangelism exists to make Jesus known and glorified among the nations by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people. Won't you stand with us with your prayers and support? To make a donation, simply visit uttermostevangelism.org or send a check to Uttermost Evangelism, P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. And thanks for your prayers and financial support. And thanks for listening today. Join us again next time. And remember, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God through Him. God bless. Save to the Uttermost is provided by Uttermost Evangelism, Pontotoc, Mississippi.